Our text today is Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. Now, we've been working our way through the book of Colossians, but on this day, this fantastic day, on this Easter morning, we will be leaving Colossians and heading into the book of Mark. On Friday, we read Mark's account of Jesus' betrayal and death, and so it seems fitting to read the follow-up in the book of Mark as well. We find ourselves at the very end of the book, the last chapter, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. Let us read the word of the Lord together this morning. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, and Salome, bought Brought spi- bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Go, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Thus ends the reading this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. Some of you may not be big sports fans, but Thursday was opening day for baseball. While most of you get to watch your team play at a reasonable time, I'd like it to be known that being a fan of a West Coast team and living on the East Coast is a little brutal. It was 10.10 p.m. at night when I finally got to settle onto my couch and watch my Seattle Mariners open their season at home against the San Francisco Giants. I typically do not get to finish games. It gets so late and I can't keep my eyes open and my longing for bed overrides my interest in the game. And let's face it, I mean, we're talking about the Mariners here. This team hasn't been good for a very long time. They have the longest playoff drought in current American sports. That includes basketball, football, soccer, you name it. That was true last year, too, when the Cleveland Browns hadn't made the playoffs in forever. So we're worse than Cleveland. Way to go, Mariners. It's fantastic. We're bad. And so when 1230 rolled around and the Mariners were down 6-1 to at the bottom of the eighth, I called it a night. I couldn't keep my eyes open any longer. And what's more, I probably shouldn't be keeping my eyes open any longer because Good Friday was looking to be a busy day and I had responsibilities. And the Mariners were looking like the same old M's, so I went to sleep. Some things just seem inevitable. The Mariners losing, taxes, and death. The disciples were familiar with death. They understood the laws of life, that all things die. And yet, even with this knowledge, I can't imagine that they were prepared for the sudden and shocking brutality of the death of Jesus. 
It happened, it happened so fast. It happened too soon. They were totally not ready for it, and yet, and yet it happened. And as the men wrestled with the inevitability of death and the inevitable persecution that would be heading their way at the hands of the established church, they hid in their houses and they mourned their friend while they stressed their future. And that is the setting for the scene of our text this morning. But not all of Christ's followers were cowering behind locked doors. Some of the women, Mary, Mary Magdalene, and Salome, despite the danger that faced them, decided that the body of their friend and teacher must be anointed, the customs must be followed, the rites must take place. So they gathered their anointing spices and headed to the tomb. And as they were on the way, they began to talk amongst themselves, asking a very real question. Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? The stone at the entrance of a tomb was not easily moved. Typically, when we think of the stone at the entrance of Jesus' tomb, we think of a round stone, like a disc, that can be rolled away. And, and it may have been. But archaeology seems to point to the likelihood that the stone was actually square and, and kind of like a, like a stopper, plugging the entrance of the tomb. We can begin to understand how a round stone can be moved since it can be rolled, but, but a block stone, a square stone, how were the women going to move this large piece of rock to anoint the body of Jesus? These ancient Burial stoppers were not intended to be moved. There was a finality to their purpose and to their existence. The stone sealing the entrance of a grave symbolized the barrier between the living and the dead. But more than that, the stone symbolized the barrier between God and man. The barrier between perfection that God demands and the death that our sin has achieved. For death is the just reward of the sinner. Because of our sin, because of our failings, it is death that we have deserved and it is death that we will receive. Our sin disqualifies us from life and we do not have the power to overcome death. Any attempt to get around this barrier on our own is futile. We cannot cheat death. We cannot trick God into believing that we are worthy of eternal life. There's a Greek myth about a particularly clever and prideful man, the first Corinthian king named Sisyphus. According to the myth, he was able to cheat death twice. However, when death finally claimed him, he was punished in the underworld due to his pride in believing that he could outsmart the god, the gods. Hades, the, the ruler of the underworld, cursed Sisyphus to roll a huge boulder up a steep hill. The boulder was enchanted so that should Sisyphus ever get the large stone close to the top of the hill, it would roll away from him and end up back at the bottom. Sisyphus thought that he could outsmart the gods, that he was clever enough to escape the inevitability of death. And what he was left with was an eternity of rolling a boulder up a hill. An unending reminder of the futility of man, the futility of man to overcome their sin, the futility of man to remove the barrier between the living and the dead, between themselves and God. Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? 
Who will take away the barrier that exists between the women and the body of their teacher and friend? Who will remove the barrier between life and death, between God and man? There are some things we just can't do. Some barriers we just can't get around. Some things, some things are inevitable. Or are they? As the women approached the tomb that morning, they were in for quite the shock. For as they neared the grave, they saw that they did not have to worry about rolling the stone away, for it had, in fact, already been done for them. The barrier had been breached. As the women reached the tomb, searching for the body, unsure of what they will find, they come upon a young man dressed all in white, sitting there, and they are freaking out. Do not be alarmed. The young man says, you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. And then we get the big follow-up, the phrase that means everything, arguably the three most important words in the Bible. He is risen. Christ is no longer here. Death could not hold him. The grave could not overpower our Lord and Savior. On Good Friday, Jesus took all of the sin of all of the world to the cursed tree, the cross, and there he became our sin, and God abandoned him for it, and there on that cross he died. But today, today we celebrate the rising from the dead. Today we celebrate his conquering of death. Death was defeated today. And so when we have faith in Jesus, we are covered in Jesus. Our filthy rags have been taken from us, and we have been clothed in white. We've been given clothes of purity that we can't even begin to fathom. As Paul has been making clear in the book of Colossians, when we believe in Jesus, we are put to death with him. Our sin was put to death with him. And in him, through faith in him, God has made us alive again. Through faith in Jesus Christ, God has made us alive. We are no longer dead in our trespasses and sins, but made alive together with Christ. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be part of the family of God. In his sermon, The Stone Rolled Away, Charles Spurgeon noted that death's ancient prison house is without a door. The saints shall pass in, but they shall not be shut in. Yes, we will still die. There are still physical ramifications for the old nature that lives within us. And the sin, that's the sin that is still evident in our lives today. But we are not shut in the grave. Because of Christ and through faith in Christ, the faith that we have been given, we will rise from the dead. Death no longer has the power to keep us in our cell. The prison doors are broken. The veil has been torn. All of this done not by the hands of man, but by the will of God. For it is not man that rolled the stone away. And it wasn't man that came out of the grave triumphant. It was Jesus Christ. It was God fulfilling his promise to us. The covenant that he made with Abraham oh so long ago. It was God saying, I've got this. For there is nothing you can contribute that you won't mess up. God is the one who has claimed victory over sin and death. Christ has been successful in his mission of reconciliation. Through Christ we have been reconciled. Through Christ we have been forgiven. Through Christ we have been redeemed. Redemption. 
As I sat in my office pondering the word and the concept of redemption, my mind wandered back to the stone, the barrier. As we have been redeemed, we have been made new through faith in Christ. So was that stone. For the rock, the barrier between man and God has been redeemed into a gate. The gate. Jesus Christ, as Judah read earlier this morning, I am the way, the truth, and the life, says our Lord. No one comes to the Father except through me. The way to relationship with God is no longer sealed. The sin that separated us from God no longer holds sway. Christ has risen from the grave. He has redeemed the barrier. He has become the gate. He has become the cornerstone, the stone that the builders rejected, but the stone that all of our hopes and dreams are resting on, have been built on. The cornerstone of the promise of God, the rock of our hope. This is Jesus Christ. And this is what his resurrection means. Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O hell, is your victory? I woke up on Friday morning, and as I was groggily getting dressed, I decided to look at the results of the game. I fell asleep in the eighth inning with the Mariners down six to one. They rallied in that eighth inning and ended up winning the game seven to eight in ten innings. It was nice to wake up to a victory, but as I put on my socks, I reflected that it's a long season. And in the long run, though the victory felt good, it didn't really mean anything. Still, even with a meaningless win, it was fun to sit on my bed and savor an improbable victory that I had nothing to do with, and that I was so very far away from. The victory that we celebrate today would have felt improbable at the time. Everyone thought Jesus dead and gone. They thought the game, the story, was over. The disciples were in hiding. The women were bravely going about honoring their teacher and friend. Nobody thought that victory was close at hand. They were all too busy languishing in the current reality of defeat, not knowing that the victory had been won. Little did they know that people would be celebrating this victory for generations. That we will celebrate this victory until the end of time. That we would be sitting here in Bergenfield, New Jersey, or wherever you are sitting while you were watching this service, and celebrating the biggest win, the win that means the most, where the Mariners' win was meaningless, this win means everything. Everything. Mary, Mary Magdalene and Salome, after they had overcome their bewilderment and fear, they got to celebrate this win. The disciples locked in their houses got to celebrate this win. Generations of undeserving Christians the world over have gotten to celebrate this win. And we, wretched sinners that we are, we get to celebrate this win right along with them. We get to celebrate a God that loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us, an act that we could never earn and one that we definitely did not deserve. And we celebrate how he rose from the dead, how he conquered sin and death, and we celebrate how he claimed the victory. 
I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you had a good week or a bad week. And I don't know what is ahead for any of us, but I do know this. We can rest in the victory that we are celebrating this morning. He has risen, said the man in white. The battle has been won. It has not been won by our sin. It has not been won by our guilt or our shame. It has not been won by the enemy. Christ has emerged from the grave. He has conquered sin and death. And through faith we have joined him in that victory. Your sin does not get to win today. The victory belongs to the Lord. The stone that was a barrier has been redeemed into the rock of our hope. Let us celebrate that. Let us praise God for his love for us. Let us praise God for the grace and mercy he has poured out over us. And let us praise God for his victory. A victory that we get to celebrate for now and forever. Praise be to God. Amen.